there, there's there's no magic solution out there. Well, just, just throw in our solution. We like have this listener that collects all this data and then you're, no, it's not the answer. Like it, this is not a tool problem. We have more tools to choose from than ever before. There's lots of amazing solutions out there that you can align with your business needs. But if you don't have the right leadership and vision in place for for putting in place a practice that is sustainable over a period of time, it, it doesn't matter. Like none of these solutions are going to work for you. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So, welcome back to another episode of uh, What You Eating for Lunch <laughs> with uh, Jim and Jason. So, I'm I'm eating a kind bar, caramel, almond, and sea salt, and it's delicious. Uh, and I was looking uh, for our mic. Um, I want to say that there was a software package I found that you could apply filters, and one of them was like late night DJ voice filter. Oh. I didn't have time to mess around with it, but I'm like, man, that would be fun. That would be fun. Uh, yeah, there's there's that. Um, it is lunchtime. Yeah, I just had a kind bar to hold me over so I didn't talk about like what I really want to eat, which is probably like a five-pound burrito or something like that. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. Not too bad. Had to make a cup of coffee to get going here before we started. It's, yeah, it, so it is lunchtime, and this is my first cup of coffee of the day. Because on Wednesdays, I start early. And usually, um, I'll get up and kind of get my day going and be prepared for my first meeting of the day. But like my my seven-year-old was up until like 1 a.m. watching YouTube videos on the new Minecraft release uh, that came out a few days ago. And like, so I'm... I'm wiped. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you got to go to bed. Like, you can sleep in until noon tomorrow, but I can't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah funny enough, like our three-year-old was fighting going to bed last night. He didn't go to bed until ten. Oh man, I would have loved for ten, <laughs> but he's well, then, a lot then, younger. Then, yeah. Well, then the problem becomes is is like I just kind of need that forty-five minutes in the evening, you know, just to kind of just decompress from the day. Um not have anybody talk to me to be honest yeah. with you just just to have three five minutes of quiet so the next you know that gets extended so yeah this morning was uh it's like oh god it's just I'm beat again it's amazing how much that just a few minutes of silence can be uh refreshing and and meaningful we have a we have a guest room upstairs and i've been trying to sneak and hide in there and just lay in the dark for like 20 minutes it never works like the minute i go in there like the dog scratching at the door like the kids need something i'm like just let me have 20 minutes in silence and then i'll do whatever you want me to do yeah like even just like I, i want 20 minutes even without the tv on 
just 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 give me some time to just decompress yeah and just kind of like just run through all the thoughts from the day so i'm not jumping into bed with all of that and waking up with it just organize my thoughts from the day turn everything off just sit in peace and then go to bed so i mean like it makes a huge difference in the morning yeah it does it does so self-care it's uh it's worth the effort for sure yeah so yeah yeah and it's august already and i thought it was later because jen was posting on i can't remember if it was on twitter or if it's on our internal slack her kids going back to school i'm like wasn't it like july still mm-hmm. so it's like the first yeah august first you know georgia goes back to school you know we've got at least three more weeks before the kids start going back to school around here yeah, I think we're three or four weeks out as well. End of August, first of September. So, but you know, you walk into Target right now, all the back to school stuff is up. I'm sh- I'm surprised, like all the Christmas stuff isn't up. Well, that's good. Well, so back to school stuff will come down right at the beginning of September. Halloween stuff will go up. Halloween, Christmas yeah. stuff will go up. Like the Christmas stuff will start going up before October 31st. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> moves too fast it does it does so but i'm, I'm excited for our topic today it's been something yeah. you and i have been talking about for quite some time it's a term that i started seeing you use and have started to use myself and recently you and i sat down and actually wrote out what does it mean like what what is the philosophy behind it and the term that i'm referring to so for anybody who listens that also follows you on social media will have seen you use the term sustainable analytics for for quite some time now maybe about a year or so now um so i wanted to spend some time now that we've really put some effort behind defining what that means and and talk about that today let's do it yeah so i guess let's start off broad what is sustainable analytics so I think we're still trying to to figure that out, but to to take a step backwards, and I we've talked a, about it a lot. And I, I did you mention you were rereading or reading? Um, Let my people go surfing. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago on an episode, I talked about like that was uh, on my list uh, to read this summer, and it's 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 been a good read. You know, um, either directly or indirectly, a lot of how Yvonne Chouinard and Patagonia structure their business has kind of rubbed off on how we've thought about business. And um, both from a how we run our business perspective and thinking kind of a less is more approach and um, taking um, a view that um, we we are playing the long game. And I think one of the quotes from, from Yvonne Chouinard said is, he said something like, um, the decisions I'm making are based on a belief that the company is going to be here 100 years from now. And, and I love that perspective because it's so counter to everything that we see in the marketplace today where it's always about right now, everything right now. You know, screw the future. Screw two weeks from now. It's like right now. Everything is about right now. And as we started to think about the challenges that businesses have been having with their analytics programs, there there started to become a lot of parallels with how we've run our business um, and uh, a lot of the insights that we've gained from really long-term thinking companies like Patagonia and there are many others out there like that. It's just kind of the one that we've we've latched onto is that 
these analytics programs have bought into just the whole ecosystem that is around them, that it's instant gratification, fulfillment. Everything is right now, right now, right now. It doesn't matter what impact this is going to have on our ecosystem or environment two weeks from now or two years from now. We don't care. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. We just have to do this right now. And what we've seen is that that approach, which is the opposite of sustain, excuse me, the opposite of sustainability has led to these analytics programs that are bloated, that are producing very little value, that are buried in tech debt, um, that are struggling just to produce the basics of what you would expect an analytics uh, practice to be able to produce. And the common thread in all of these was these programs that were very reactionary, not thinking about the future. Um, and a lot of it is maybe driven by the turnover. You know, we've talked about this in lots of episodes, like people come in, they restructure an analytics program, they quit 12 months later and go do it somewhere else. And so they're like, hey, I'm not going to be here to have to deal with it. So a lack of empathy for future users and future uh, employees that are going to um, inherit what you put in place has left these programs just these bloated messes that that cannot be sustained, can't be maintained, and the companies are struggling to get value out of it. And so we step back and say, is it any wonder that people are having really bad experiences with analytics? And and so we've been taking a very measured approach to saying, how can we make a less is more approach um, our hallmark, what it is that, that we're passionate about, what it is that we drive with our clients, um, and we're already starting to see traction uh, with our clients as we're starting to to make some incremental changes as we're mentioning our strategy. It is very refreshing. And I think the reason why is for for many people, um, the, the the concept maybe isn't new. And if you remember back early in the the digital analytics space, um, this concept of sustainability was forced upon us in in that, you know, very, so, you know, I was at Omniture in the very early days and um, the number of custom variables we had available to us was less than you can count on your two hands on your fingers. And so when you have minimal storage, when you have minimal um, opportunities to capture data, um, what ends up happening is you have to be very critical on future thinking. It's like, do we really need this data? How are we going to use this data? How is this going to, how are we going to, you know, maintain it over the next couple of years? We only have five precious slots to hold this data. So this concept of sustainability was forced upon us. And then the marketplace said, we need more, we need more, we need more. And so, you know, then there was unlimited dimensions or in Adobe, you have like a thousand events or like 500, you know, dimensions or 250 or what, you know, it just incrementally went at first, it went to like 50 and then a hundred and then 250. And it got to a tipping point. And th this is true across all of the platforms. And it's now been made worse by other platforms that are out there pushing this message of just collect everything like Adobe stupid, Google stupid. They're making you like put it into these predefined buckets, just collect everything. And that's better. And we think it's worse. We think that this taking off the restraints and just saying you have all of this stuff you can collect for most people that's taken off that critical thinking of, yeah, but how are we going to maintain this long-term? Is this a sustainable decision? Everyone said, we don't care. 
let's just collect it to collect it. And then instantly implementations became bloated. The value and what people were able to produce from the insights dropped. And it's only going to accelerate as you get more and more players in the marketplace pushing this narrative that just collect everything. You don't even have to think about it is going to exponentially explode the bloat and the decreased value and most importantly the frustration that people are feeling around their analytics programs yeah i i remember when adobe started <clears throat> increasing the number of of evars and props that you could have and everyone's like wow what we can do with this and yeah like the amount that you can capture today is it, it, it's crazy compared to, to 15 years ago when you did, you had to make those buy decisions of which is more valuable. We only have so many slots we can use. What is the most critical that we're going, what's the most critical data that we need to be able to actually make decisions from? So just to kind of echo what you were saying is, is the unlimited dimensions or you know, when you have, you know, a thousand custom events, it's, it's more or less unlimited um, yeah. for, for, for just about anybody out there. It eliminates the buy decision. It eliminates the debate and conversation mm -hmm. of, is this needed? Is this data that valuable to take up a slot that could be used for something else? Yeah. And, and, and I don't want people to say that, oh, well, you know, we've been able to do great things with increased ability to capture data or, you know, not even have to thinking about it, you know, it has all this value because you can go back and analyze things you didn't. I 100% agree. But in order for that to be valuable for organizations, you know, in order for an organization to an adopt to adopt a platform of collect everything, which can be incredibly valuable in order for it to work, you have to be incredibly deliberate about how you design your program. And we've seen from experience that the vast majority of companies and people simply will not be. So while these platforms do have value in increasing the amounts of data we can capture, the it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very precarious path to go down that if you're not prepared, you're going to slip and fall and die. And, and that's a scary place for, for companies to be. So that's what we're concerned about. We're not saying don't collect all this data. We're not saying don't evaluate using a platform of collect everything. We're saying if you're going to collect it, you're making a buy decision. And, and one of the most important decisions about buying is not can I afford it today, but can I afford it tomorrow? And this holds true in, in, you know, real life as well. Like, you know, we're, we're very good at buying things. We're very bad at maintaining the things that we buy. And that's Super. why there's so much waste. Uh, that's why there's so much inefficiencies in the things that we purchase is we're good at buying. We're not good at saying, if I buy it, I'm committing to maintaining it. So we, what do we do? We throw it away. We buy another thing. We, we collect it and it just, it, it's waste and it's, it's bad for our environment. And it's the same reason that it's bad for our digital and data environments. You know, it's so easy to buy, but we don't commit to maintaining. And so we have this, this digital 
data environment that is full of waste and we're, we're, we're hurting the environment. And at some point in time, someone has to come in and say, this is a disaster area. You know, we have to clean it up. You're hurting people. And it is, it's, it's literally hurting people. You know, we, we meet with these people that are in these organizations that are so broken um, because they are, were unable to maintain what they bought from an analytics perspective. It has very real world physical impacts on the people that work there. I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. Like these people are miserable in their jobs, miserable. And it doesn't have to be that way. And and so, you know, if, if we care about people, you know, this is having, this isn't just, we wasted our money on an analytics platform. This isn't just, we aren't getting the value of our analytics platform. This is a, we're making our employees that we're asking to run this miserable. You know, it's something I think everybody needs to seriously, seriously think about. And, and for me, the big key is if we're going to buy it, are we also committing to maintaining it? Which again, most people don't even ask that question. So if you know, most people don't ask that question, you know, a lot more don't maintain anything that they buy. Yeah. And, and, and one of the other causes for this situation. So we, we, we kind of jumped in and started talking about the, the history and, and how cheap, uh, storage or data collection space has gotten cheaper. Mm-hmm. as and expanded at the same time uh as, as compared to you know over this time so when we look back 15 years it's it's completely different the other thing that has contributed to this widely to to your point is is everybody wants to buy and build nobody wants to maintain so you see yeah. turnover a lot it's of so fun to build <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's so fun to build it, it it's it's not fun to go in and make sure that that it's it's humming along properly. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I've I've come into situations where two digital analytics directors ago, they they purchased a platform, it was implemented and not maintained, and now this other person is the second person to inherit it and they don't know what up is down there being there's demands on their time. Yeah there's demands on them, not necessarily their time, but there's demands on them to provide information so that the business can make decisions, but nobody knows if it's accurate or not. You know, everybody's under the stress of saying, do I give this answer now? Cause I don't necessarily know if I trust it. Yeah. What, what do you think the root of that is? Uh, Meaning that, it's, it's not, it's not a one-off that people don't like the maintenance component and we don't like QA and we don't like documentation, like all of these things that have been proven to create fill in the blank of whatever it is you're building. Like we just, it just feels like as humans, we, there are very few of us that, that like, like that. We like the build. In fact, we like the build so much, and we, we may have talked about Legos or other modeling in the past that like, we like the build so much that we tear open the box and throw, throw the instructions to the side. I'm like, we don't have time to read the instructions. You know, we don't have time to prepare and make sure we have all the pieces. We don't have time to put the pieces in you know, piles so we can be efficient in, in pulling the parts that we need. It's like, 
dump everything out on the table and start building, <laughs> you know, and, and we, we kind of all fall into, to that, that trap. Uh, have you seen, I guess, either individuals or companies over your decade plus of experience that have figured out how to solve for that? And I guess you can solve for that by hiring people that are into the organization and sustainability of things. But I guess the question is, have you seen organizations be able to solve for that without hiring for those people? Meaning, can you teach people to be sustainable? Can you teach people to slow down and think a little bit more long-term about the decisions that they're making? Most times, it's taken someone to come in from the outside to provide the outside perspective. Um one of the other causes for this, and we dump on sales a lot on this podcast, is the oversimplification from MarTech sales folks. They mm-hmm. completely oversimplify it. And they they oversimplify it to a buyer who is not going to be responsible for building it. They oversimplify the connections it has to other tools, other systems. They oversimplify um, how easy it is to begin collecting data. They would just slap this code on, on all of your pages and you'll be able to do these kinds of things. It unlocks these use cases. It unlocks these capabilities. Um, and the minute someone else comes in and says, or you know, it's handed off to the person who's actually going to be designing the solution and building it, no, it's not that simple. And there's this bias human beings have. Um, I've heard so many people talk about it in so many different contexts. It's typically the first thing that you hear on something and you, you feel like, yeah, that that's right. You just glom right onto it. You, 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 it's the first thing you heard. It's, it's what you believe. Um, I mean, it happens in so many cases and seriously, take a look now over the next couple of weeks and look at all the people that like, in your life in again multiple different areas the first thing i hear is is that's the gospel truth anything after they've made up their mind at that point they don't want to get the second third fourth opinion um same thing goes in this case in our space you know sales comes in they put that bug in the ear of of an executive who's the one signing for the contract and the minute someone in the organization says no that's not how this gets done no, it's not as a matter of slip, uh, putting a piece of code on the page. It's these 10 phases over a six-month period to get that up and moving. Then there's immediate pushback. Like Then you you start to get the, the infighting. And you have people pushing for a site. Well, I don't care. Get it up as soon as possible. Yeah, so let's break that down a little bit because I think there's a couple interesting pieces to talk about there that, that may be impacting, uh, you know, our ability to create sustainable analytics. So I, I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up, but I, I think you bring up a really, really good point. And in, in fact, it's it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition because I was just talking with a prospect yesterday um, who I don't know if it was from them or that they have a salesperson in their ear, but they they came to me and said, hey, we're, we're a fairly immature practice. We actually don't even have a team. Um, we've got uh, a real mess internally with the, the implementation that we have done across multiple business units. Our goal is to have consolidated data within uh, 90 days and a fully functional BI practice within 180 days. And I said, we can't help you. 
Um, we, we can't be successful doing that. That is unrealistic. And I think it may have been a, the first time someone from a sales perspective may have told them that because you're right. When, when we hear from the sales team, it's their job to like grease the, what is it? Grease the wheel, grease the skids. Yeah. Grease the wheels. I, I I'm, I'm bad with the uh, idioms today. Cause I was on with Jen and I said, it, it's like putting all your in one basket. And she's like, you mean eggs in one basket? I'm like, ah, yeah, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I'm messing up all my idioms today. But the, the sales team is, is really, you know, historically it's been their job to schmooze. Right. And come in and it's like, Oh, everything is so easy. And, you know, or you remember the early days of analytics, like when we kind of mocked the magic, oh, just slap this on there and instantly you have analytics and reports and insights and everything just magically runs. And then they sell the deal and then internally things start to fall off the wheels really quickly. But in order to save face, we just do a bunch of stuff to do a bunch of stuff. So we're from the beginning we're we're kind of set up in a place of being unsuccessful because the map that we've put in place is not a map that is going to lead us to a place of building something sustainable the map i i'm i shouldn't pick on ikea because they have great furniture uh there a discount let's pick a discount box store where you buy it a desk uh Remember in college? Yeah, let's or, go with this. Yeah, the Staples Special or something. Like yeah, that. so I think uh, yeah, exactly so, what I'm thinking of. With yeah, so you know, in college, I had an entertainment center and I had a desk for my room was that was from you know one of these locations, and it was literally like a couple pieces of wood and mostly cardboard holding it together with these little tiny nails. And yep. is it any wonder that that thing starts falling apart in like six months and you're trying to tape it? together with duct tape and that's the opposite of sustainability right um and and we convince ourselves at the time that well we don't have the money to invest in doing it right but what we don't realize that is if we did that calculation over time that we're actually spending more money and lost efficiencies and frustrations and eventually we have to replace this thing three or four times because it keeps falling apart and it ends, ends up costing us way 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 more money and so you know, I, I again, I hadn't really thought about it, but I think you're right. I think, you know, sales and marketing is a big reason and problem why companies are going down this path of uh, unsustainable analytics, because what they're pitching to them, the vision they're selling to them, the map they're putting in their hands is known to lead to something that is anything but sustainable. And so that's a huge problem. If you're starting from a place where your directions are wrong, is it any wonder you're you're winding up in a wrong direction? The other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking through that is I wonder how much of it is um, an output of what we choose to um, observe and reward, M meaning that most organizations tend to reward action. Um, and it doesn't really matter what the action is. It doesn't matter if it's right action or wrong action. It's like, oh, Jim is doing something. Remember the uh, episode of Seinfeld where um, – I, can't, I think it was George where he said he came up with this thing that if he just walks around the hall, like making all these movements, like he's frustrated thinking about a problem all the time that they think he's a high performer. It's, it's yep. like that, right? Like the, the person in the office and I'm sure I've worked with this person. I'm sure you have too. That is like constantly like in motion and like everything's like an emergency. They're always trying to solve this complex problem. It's like, wow, that guy's a real worker. He's doing a lot of work. He's like, 
Well, he's certainly making a lot of movements. I, I don't know that he's actually getting anything of value done. I wonder how much that comes into play as well. Uh, because we've, you and I have both seen it firsthand where organizations reward their analytics team from doing all the action. You got to be, you got to be watching the simulcast of this on YouTube to get the full effect of me making all the arm movements and the, but you know what I'm saying? Like really it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're rewarding like the appearance of work. And so if we reward that, then sure, like, let's just create more stuff, do more stuff. Let's add more crap to this room. Let's fill this up with more stuff. But it's not really anything of value. It's stuff that doesn't really hold the test of time. It falls apart. It's. Did did you ever hear the George Carlin skit on stuff? No. It's a great skit. I'm not going to do it justice. I'll send you the link to it later. But he's up there and he's talking about like, we, we just collect stuff. We go out and buy stuff. Marketing is there to sell us stuff. So we, we buy a house and we start to fill it with stuff. And then we start running out of space. So we buy a bigger house to fill it with <laughs> more stuff. Mm-hmm. Then we buy a storage locker to, to store our spare stuff and the stuff we don't need right now. And he goes on this whole skit about, yeah, buying stuff and just... Yeah. And, and, and we're yeah. seeing that, right? We're seeing that in this space. It's first of all, it's with the platforms we own. We're pushing, we're pushing the vendors for more and more and more. So it's like, okay, we had 50 things we could put stuff in. Now we have 5,000 things we can put stuff in and we got to put stuff in it. Cause we can, we have it. We got to put stuff in it. Right. And then we run out and it's like, well, we need to go buy another thing. So it's like, okay, now we have like, and we've seen it like companies running two or three or sometimes four like primary digital analytics platforms. Like what the hell are you doing? Well, we got, we got to put more stuff in here, more stuff, more, more, more stuff. Right. And, and then, and then it grows out from that. And it's like, and, and again, not that these things are bad, but the vision is bad. Well, we need a, we need a data lake because we need more stuff and we need an ocean mark because like lake isn't big enough. We need a whole damn ocean of putting stuff in it. And you go and look at these companies. It's like, okay, show me all the amazing things you're doing. Well, yeah, we're, I mean, we're not really doing anything. Like, no one trusts the data involved. It takes us like seven weeks to get anything out of the platform. And we're onboarding I mean, no this new that. vendor now that's but, going to make it so much easier to do this. <laughs> you know, and it's it's fun to poke fun, but this is real. This is this is really happening, and it's sad and it's frustrating. And and again, I'm going to tie it back to just survivability. I can't say this enough. Day one, 2020 of the pandemic, the analytics teams were the first teams on the chopping block. That has to tell you something. And it's not that data isn't valuable. It's not that having a strong analytics program isn't a difference maker in companies. It's the way that they're currently structured and the way they're currently doing things that makes them a liability. And the fact that they were the very first teams to go, day one of the pandemic, should tell you something. And, and this can be fixed, and we think the fix is through sustainable analytics practices. And I want to go back to something you were talking about there, rewarding action or the appearance of action over things that actually generate value. That's another reason why analytics implementations and uh, just data, digital data ecosystems get out of control is, is mm-hmm. organizations reward the group that gets just say they're checking stuff off a list you know yes boss over the last quarter 
I enabled five new dimensions and 25 new custom events. And that's where the conversation stops. Hey, that's great. You got more stuff done. You're now collecting mm -hmm. more stuff. The next question isn't, what are we doing with it? What value is that now bringing to the organization? If the conversation just stops, okay, you're getting stuff done. And so my question back to you is, um, how much of that do you think is a result of having lack of executive leadership? Meaning that there's not an adult in the room like calling BS on all this stuff. That it's that, just that's a, exactly what it is. Yeah. Because um, let's look at the average tenure of someone in digital analytics with most organizations. It's 18 to 24 months. And mm -hmm. that's everything from the analyst and implementer all the way up to management director level and above. Yep. Yep. You know, th these are people that move. And, you know, we, you, you were talking a few minutes ago about the guy, you know, going around the office with uh, their hair on fire and their hands waving about getting stuff done. I've come across that person. I've also come across the charlatan. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they're not actually doing anything of value. Yes. They're checking things off a list, but when you confront them and ask them, well, what value does this actually provide to the organization? There's no answer. So yeah, to, to your point, there's no adult in the room asking the hard questions of, well, what does this mean to the organization? What can we do now that we couldn't do before this? Um, how has this moved us forward? So you have people that are like, yes, we now have all of this new data. We have this, we've onboarded this vendor. We could do that, but there's no specific use cases that they can point back to to say, yes, with these new data points, we are able to automate these kinds of email campaigns. So we're maintaining the same revenue, the same conversion rate on those email campaigns, but we're spending 20 hours less a month on them. Yeah. And, and I think, a, yeah, so I mean, I think a big part of this is that um, since the beginning, digital analytics has failed to find um, a, a executive sponsor within the organization. And, and we've seen this, that the, the program gets kicked around between various different departments, um, but ultimately it stops at a VP somewhere. And, and just the, the fact that there's no C-level sponsorship is is a huge problem. And I think a huge contributor to this fact that we're doing work to do work and no one's stepping in and saying, okay, we, we got to stop creating stuff just to create stuff. We need to do something that makes an impact. I don't care if it's, I don't care if you produce one thing that weighs a pound, if it's making a difference, that's way better than creating a room full of like things that weigh 20,000 pounds each that don't do anything. And that's what we're doing right now. We have these huge fancy, uh, we don't go into the office anymore and we don't have paper, but like uh, paperweights, right? Like we, we have these big fancy things that we can put, oh, look, we installed this new program and it does all this stuff. What does it do? I don't know, but look at the bells and the whistles and that's cool stuff. So Monty Python uh, sketch uh, from the meaning of life. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, there's, uh, the, the hospital administrator, um, and he likes all the machines that go bing. It's like, oh, so I see that light, see the bing. Like, I don't, what does it do? I don't know. I don't know. It looks cool. Right. Like that's, that's what we're doing. We're just kind of like creating things that look cool. And it's like, um, why did you write 20,000 lines of custom JavaScript code to collect this data? I don't know. Cause it was fun. And that's like, like super cool thing I built. It's like, yeah, it's cool. But like. We don't really need it. And in fact, it's overkill. You could have done the same thing using one line of code, you know? So 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many contributing factors to this, but the bottom line is is that again, it, this isn't just a point of frustration where we're like, you can do this in a smarter, more sustainable way. This is a point that this is having very real world consequences on the mental health of your employees and on their ability to keep their jobs. Again, like these got if these jobs are getting cut day one, you know that there is a a very very serious problem here that that needs to be remedied. So I think you know fundamentally we need to be talking to organizations about why a less is more strategy is the way to go, but probably more importantly we need to put that to the test and say and look we're actually doing it, right? We need to start um building the results from those programs and showing people look, you know, this isn't about you know, having flexibility to collect all these things. It's about being more deliberate and saying and being realistic with ourselves and saying, okay, if we collect A, are we committed to maintaining A and using it to get the full value out of it? And, those, and again, those conversations for by and large are simply not happening today because it's so easy just to buy more and more and more and people aren't directly tying the consequences of those buy decisions to the the outputs which are happening they're just not able to draw the line and saying wait a minute i'm my own worst enemy it's kind of like a, a drug addict right like from the outside you can see it's like okay every time you shoot heroin into your arm you're getting sicker and sicker and sicker but they can't draw that connection that when i do this i get sick you know in their mind they can't see it and these organizations are are heroin addicts they're sick you know they keep injecting more and more and more and from the outside, you're like, are you guys crazy? You're killing yourselves. And you talk to them, like, what do you mean? Like, no, no, that's not, that, that outcome isn't connected to this action. I'm like, yeah, not the rest of us can see it. You can't, you know, it's almost like we need, uh, we need an intervention and we need to sit down with them. It's like, all right, you guys are sick and we love you, but we can't, uh, we can't support this anymore. And, and, and that's one of the things that I think I'm so passionate about. And I love kind of our model is that we're not afraid to say that. And and oftentimes, you know, just as an intervention, it kind of catches the clients off guard. And in, and in cases where we catch that beforehand with prospects where we say, no, like you guys are really sick and we need to fix that. I'm like, no one's ever told us that before. It's like, well, yeah, because you're paying them and <laughs> they want you to keep paying them, you know, and they're, and, and, and they're enabling you. They're, they're the classic enabler and then they're getting something out of it, which is the paycheck. Yeah, it was two months ago, you and I were in a meeting with with a prospect. And we had done a little bit of work with them previously. And they were talking to us about a long term engagement. And, and did you flat out call them out on like, you don't have executive leadership that really cares about this. And like, everyone was like, Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. We don't. And then, the, the, then your next line was, well, then this project, as you're thinking about it right now, will fail. Yeah. And I think, you know, more people need to get the courage to have those conversations because in the end, like being, whether we're the user or the enabler, everyone loses in that scenario on a long enough timeline. And, and again, if we're thinking about sustainability, this is where the problem lies that if all we can think about is, yeah, but I need to get my hit today or yeah, I just need to support them today and I I won't enable them tomorrow. That's short-term thinking. We're not thinking sustainably because we know, we know it's a proven fact that we know the outcome of that. 
it's going to end horribly for everybody involved. So while those conversations may be difficult to have, I guarantee you it's much less difficult than the conversation of why did this program die? Why is my team getting laid off? Why am I getting, you know, let go? Because those are the outcomes eventually. I mean, you because of the labor shortage, especially in this space, you can skip around. But eventually, that will catch up to you, right? So, I mean, as again, as tough as it is to have these conversations about doing something fundamentally different than we've done the last 15 to 20 years is difficult. But I guarantee you, it's a much easier conversation to have this conversation than having the conversation about why your team's getting let go, why you're being let go, why you have no funding, why, you know, on and on and on. And it's because we've we've stopped thinking critically about what we're collecting and it's just we're going to collect stuff to collect stuff. We're going to point to it in a room and say, hey, look at all the stuff we did. And we're going to feel good about that, even though it's incredibly empty and hollow. Yeah. And um, it, it seems like some of those decisions, the the build and move on mentality of, of the space, the oversimplification of what it takes to get a data ecosystem up and running is, is, is starting to catch up because I've had recent conversations with, with folks in different companies, different industries, different verticals, and I'm starting to hear the same thing of, there was just one not too long ago. I'm just tired of the constant replatforming. Like there, there, there's this fatigue that it's, yeah, it's taken 15 years for us to get here. It, it's taken this amount of time, but like you, I'm starting to see it where people are getting frustrated with like, we're not moving any for anywhere forward. We just, we re-implement, we re-implement, we re-implement. And we have the constantly, the constantly the same problems. We bring in different partners and we still have the same problems. Yeah. This is getting old. And and ultimately, it's a leadership and a people problem. To your point, like uh, people like to talk about solutions. Oh, like Adobe sucks. Or uh, if you do like a real data practice and build your own custom database, that's the answer. Like, no, none of these things are the answer. There, there's, there's no magic solution out there. Well, just, just throw in our solution. We like have this listener that collects all this data and then you're, no, it's not the answer. Like it, this is not a tool problem. We have more tools to choose from than ever before. There's lots of amazing solutions out there that you can align with your business needs. But if you don't have the right leadership and vision in place for, for putting in place a practice that is sustainable over a period of time, it, it doesn't matter. Like none of these solutions are going to work for you. Um, so this isn't, we need to get out of the thought that this is a software problem. We need to get out of the thought that this is a, you know, pipes problem this is fundamentally a people problem and and fundamentally a lack of executive leadership problem and and yeah i mean it's it's finally it's finally catching up i mean we've been riding this wave but at some point in time if we're spending millions of dollars a year on software and people and we're not getting anything in return eventually someone's going to step in and say like enough is enough and and we saw that in small portions with the pandemic where budgets were tightened and it's like no value here guys you're out you know um it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of long-term recession that will also force that conversation 
but I also think as we kind of move to a new way of working and the office becomes decentralized and companies really look at their overhead and their spend, I think they're going to come to a logical conclusion that, man, we were spending a lot of money on things that just weren't returning value for us. And analytics is going to be squarely in that crosshair. That day, if it's not here, is coming very soon. And so any of us that work in the space, just out of a mere um, survivability standpoint, we should be thinking critically about the decisions we're making and the value we're producing and that the days of doing work to do work, the days of being judged by output and action rather than value created, I think are going to be behind us. Yeah. So, so as, as we start to, to, to wrap up, we, we, we've touched on several things. Like if you were to give like the specific core components of a sustainable analytics philosophy approach to a prospect, what would be that those bullet points? So number one, again, would be this contract that you make that you say that if I buy something and collecting data is a buy decision, buying and obviously buying a new software package, going into a partnership with the services company, those are all buy decision. If I buy something, I'm committing to A, maintaining that, and B, I'm committed to making decisions that the decision I make today is going to impact things 10, 20, 30 years in the future. You, we have to be thinking more long-term. So that's number one. Um, number two, that with high value things, less is very often more. And I think about this from a culinary perspective, as we've seen over the last couple of decades, an explosion of um, consumers' love of sushi. And it's gone to this place where everybody that wants to be in the sushi game um, masks lack of quality and understanding of the craft by what? Piling it up with just junk. It's like, here's a piece of rice with a piece of fish. And like, here's 50 pounds of toppings and flourishes and flares I can put on top of it. That can be fun sometimes. But typically when you see that, it's trying to hide something and cover something up. If you look at the most revered, high-quality sushi chefs in the world, it is a piece of rice and a piece of fish and maybe a slight glaze of sauce. That's it. They have no need to cover it up because the quality is there in its simplicity. And I, and I think we need to think about that from our analytics perspective of, you know, putting all these flourishes and like having all these platforms and all this data and all this cool stuff that we can, the bells and the whistles is really just covering up our lack of ability to produce value at its most simplest form. And really an elegant, simple solution when you're really, really good at what you do will always have more value than these big bloated fancy. You may trick people, you may fool the average consumer, but again, at some point in time, you're going to have a educated buyer that steps into a senior role in your company. And they're going to be like, what is all this crap? You put three pounds of mayo on my sushi. Like, just give me the fish and rice, man. Well, well, we don't know how to do that. Well, you're fired. I'll find someone that can. Right. So to me, those are the two major pillars that we need to be thinking about we have to commit to maintaining what we buy. And within that, we have to be making decisions about that maintenance that affect the long term and not just today. And then number two, we need to go about things from a simplicity standpoint that for high end, high value things, less is very often more. And if you're in a 
position where you're constantly replatforming, bringing in new vendors, building in all this sophistication. While in some cases that could be a very healthy path, nine times out of 10, it's an unhealthy path that it's just creating flare and fluff to cover up the lack of quality underneath. Reduce to something more simple and commit to creating less, but more high quality results. It, it might be hard. It might be hard to sell that story, but that's how sustainability works. And again, if you're interested in long-term survivability, that's where we have to be thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Did you bring up the sushi example? You know, like in, in your example, like the highly crafted, you know, the, the high-end sushi that is much more simple. It's not everybody's taste. And I think that that's one of the things that comes down to is, is, you and I have talked behind the scenes about it. And, and to me, this is a philosophy of, of wanting to be elite. So when you're elite, you cut out everything else and you focus on the most high value stuff. That's right. And unfortunately, and this is going to be, a, this is a bit of a challenge to people is, is this philosophy is not for everybody. It's for those that want to be elite. Want to be elite and want to survive long-term because you know, going back to the sushi example, look at these chefs and restaurants that have committed to simple quality. They last the, they, they, they last the test of time. They survive that over, you know, many different things, whether it's a housing crash or a, a recession or a global pandemic, they're able to survive. Look at the ones that it's like, okay, this simplicity isn't for everyone's taste. Um, and a few downturns happen, what happens? It's like, oh, wait, that place is a Denny's now? It used to be an all-you-can-eat sushi place. <laughs> you know, like, yep. it's not going to be there in six months. Like, the minute there's any kind of bump in the road, it, it's hard for them to sustain. So, again, while it may not be for everyone, those that want to be elite at their craft and those that want to survive the test of time, it is the proven path. Yeah, agreed. So I think that that's a good spot to, to wrap up. You know, we're going to continue talking about this, digging into certain aspects of it in coming episodes. But I've been excited as we've been preparing this, talking about this and, and getting us out. So this was really fun to to dive into today. Yeah, great topic. Super passionate about it and uh, excited to continue to to explore it. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping more people are interested in it as, as well. It uh, it needs to become a movement. Yeah, agreed. So cool. We will go ahead and wrap up there and talk to everyone later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.